All right. Hey, uh, in, uh, let me tell you a story about uh, a fella. In, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my wife watched a movie. It was called uh, Unbroken, The Path to Redemption. I don't know if any of you saw that. I would strongly recommend it. It was the story of Louis Zamperini. Louis, in 1936, went to the Olympics, which was held in Germany, and he competed in the 5,000-meter race. He came in eighth, but he had the fastest last lap. So much, it was so uh, popular at the time, Adolf Hitler was at the games because they were held in Germany, and he asked for a personal audience with Louis because of the speed that he did his last lap in, even though he came in eighth in the 5,000 meter. It's pretty amazing. Two years later, he was going to uh, University of Southern California, and he ran the mile, and he set a record which held for 15 years. He was known as the Torrance Tornado. He was from Torrance, California, which is in the LA area. When the war broke out in, in uh, 1941 and World War II and so forth, Louis enlisted and he became a bombardier on an airplane. And in 1943, his plane was shot down in the Pacific. He and the pilot and another survivor were on a raft and for, they were together, the three of them, for 37 days and the, uh, one, one of the fellows died couldn't take it anymore. They were living off birds that kind of landed on the thing or sharks, fighting off sharks and different fish at the so forth. And, and Louis prayed, God, get me out of this situation. If, if you allow me to live, I will serve you the rest of my life. Well, in the 47th day, they landed on one of the Marshall Islands and it just happened to be one of the islands that was occupied by the Japanese. And so he and the pilot were captured, eventually put in a uh, Japanese prison camp. And... Uh, the, uh, one of the guards found out that Louis had been in the Olympics and so forth and who he was and made it a, a special point to torture him even more. He was tortured every day by this one particular guard. And again, Louis prayed, God, get me out of this situation. If I can just live, you know, I'll serve you all my life. Uh, well, he didn't get out until the war was over. He came home, uh, he eventually got married, uh, he and his wife had a daughter, uh, but he was tormented by nightmares of the guard torturing him every single night. Sometimes even during the day, he would just have times where he would just reflect on that and it kind of freak him out in the situation. He eventually uh, drunk, became an alcoholic to kind of um, dull himself uh, of the, the terrible uh, nightmares and so forth. And his marriage was going down the hill and so forth. And he was bitter with God uh, because God did not, uh, in his mind, cause him to escape his situation. He ended up in the prison, prisoner of war camp and so forth. Uh, and life was just going down the tube where his marriage was even falling apart. Billy Graham had a crusade in 1949 in Los, Los Angeles. And uh, Louis' wife went to it and uh, wanted him to go to it because he, she thought maybe this will help to change his life. He needed God in his life. He didn't go at first, but he eventually went, left the first time he was there, came back again a second time because he realized his wife was going to leave him if there wasn't a chance. She was ready to go. And uh, under Billy Graham's ministry, both he and his wife became believers. 
As soon as he became a believer, his nightmare stopped. He eventually uh, just gave his life to the Lord fully and uh, opened up a, a kind of a ranch for kids that were coming from broken homes and so forth. Lived to just a couple of years ago, actually. He died in his uh, late 80s and so forth. But it was interesting that Louis' prayer when he was in the life raft, God, if you will deliver me, if you will just let me live, I will serve you. Uh, God did let him live. And it was not until after he became a Christian that he realized that God answered his prayers. He just didn't answer them in the way that Louis thought they should be answered. And, and so instead of being excited about the fact that he lived, he was angry at God because God didn't answer his prayers the way Louis thought they should be answered. I wonder how many times we get in the same place where we get angry with God because God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want them to be answered. I, I, I want to focus on two biblical characters today. I'll, sp I'll probably spend about three quarters of the time with one and the other quarter with the other, but two biblical characters that even though their life sometimes had its ups and downs, they were in love with God and always gave glory to God in all that he did. The first one I want to talk about is, is David. And the second one I want to talk about is the Apostle Paul. And, and, and one of the things that I, I see from both of these men is that, and uh, that I want us to really grasp today, is that God has our back. And I don't know what this year uh, that, we're, that we're just ending and, you know, tomorrow's the last day and then a new year starts. I don't know how this past year has been for you. I don't know if God answered the prayers the way that you want or maybe you don't even feel he has answered anything yet or, or what the new year holds for you and what's coming up and how you're feeling about that, what sort of things that you're facing. But I think as we, we, we begin a new year, we ought to realize that, that God is for us, and God has our back. And, and in reading scripture, and as Greg talked about, you know, get into a Bible reading plan and so forth, uh, one of the things I've seen in, in my lifetime of reading the Bible is that God is for me. God has my back. And if I could just open up my eyes and see his incredible love and concern for me, and see it more every single day. And my prayer for us, me included and you included, is that we would see more of God this year working in our life. Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I, I pray that you would know the, the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of God's love. And then he adds, that surpasses all understanding." well, how can I know something that surpasses understanding? And yet that's his prayer for us. The interesting thing, he writes that from prison. He writes that from prison. God, I, I pray that we would know the height, the depth, the breadth, and width of your love that surpasses understanding. The part of David that I want to look at comes out in Psalm 18. It's 50 verses. I'm not going to read all 50 verses for you today. But I, I encourage you to really kind of write down and say, I'm going to read Psalm 18 as I begin this year. David, it's interesting about this psalm is that it's, it's also found in another place of Scripture. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And that's at the end of David's life. 
And probably about 95, 96, 97% of Psalm 18 is found in that particular part of Scripture. And, and it's interesting, again, that, 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 Paul, that, that David is praying to God and just thanking him for his goodness. Now, a couple of things about David that we know and maybe some things that we don't know. We know that he was the youngest of all of his brothers, that uh, he was overlooked at first when, when uh, Samuel went to, to the house of Jesse and was supposed to select a king. He, he didn't seem to be the one. In fact, after he went through all his older brothers, uh, you know, Samuel says to, to Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, I have this you know, younger son. He's out tending the sheep and so forth. And, and so we know that David tended sheep, and he, and he at times, I'm sure he, he spent nights and days out alone with the sheep. And, and he tells us later, at least David does, that he fought off the lion, and he fought off the bear, and it was God that helped him in those times. He realized that a God had helped him to do that. And so when Goliath came along the scene, and the Israelites were all scared to death of this giant that was facing them and taunting them, David would have no part of that. The God who delivered me from the lion and the bear will certainly deliver me from a giant. God is with me, and God will stand by his people. That's what was in David's mind. And so Saul tries to equip him with his armor, but it just doesn't fit, and he says, all I need is a slingshot, a couple stones, and and you know the story. He slays the giant, cuts off his head, and, and again, God was with him, and David always gave God the credit. Because of his heroic act, King Saul uh, made him a commander of his armies, and, and David would go out and, and slay their arch enemy, the Philistines. And, and eventually, it was said that you know, the women would sing, well, Saul slayed his thousands, but David had slayed the ten thousands. And when Saul heard that, the envy in his heart rose up, and his jealousy. And for the rest of his life, really, he tried to do away with David who was loyal to him, and twice had the opportunity to to slay Saul, but wouldn't do it because he would not touch God's anointed. And yet he had to hide in caves. He had to run from Saul and from the army. And, and, you know, here's the guy that you're trying to be loyal to, and he's throwing a spear at you, and his army is chasing you. I mean, this could be like a bad day, you know, When, when the person who you're loyal to is after you like that. Well, David eventually, Saul eventually dies, and, and, and his good friend, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, dies, who was probably David's best friend at the time, and he, he grieves over that, but he eventually becomes king. And, and as we read on in, in, in David's life, we know that eventually he makes some bad choices. He has an affair with Bathsheba, and she becomes pregnant in order to cover it up. He tries to have her husband, Uriah, you know, go to bed with her, and he's too loyal. He won't do that because his men are out in battle and eventually has Uriah killed. So David has a murder and and adultery on his path, and the child from that is born there eventually dies at a young age, you know, within his first year. So David loses a son. Later on, uh, he has multiple wives, and and one of his sons uh, rapes his half-sister. And the brother of that half-sister, Absalom, is furious about that. And two years later, he kills that brother. Well, Abner eventually uh, overthrows, has a coup and overthrows David's throne. And, And David leaves and escapes Jerusalem. 
And in order to embarrass his father, father, he has sex on the rooftop with all David's wives and concubines. And David eventually has his men fight against Absalom, and he doesn't want Absalom to be killed, but he kills. So David has three sons in his life that he's seen die. And yet, he still is quoted as a man after God's own heart. And he writes this Psalm 18. And with, I'm not going to read all 50 verses like I said, but I want us to kind of break it into parts and look at some of the verses in it. It's interesting because one of the things that we don't find in the portion of it that is seen in 2 Samuel 22 is the very first verse where he says this, I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength. At the end of his life, he's still saying to God, I love you, Lord, my strength. And then in the next couple of verses, he uses some very military terms. He says, the Lord is my rock. He is my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. The horn is the horn of an animal which shows its power and strength. My stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have, and I have been saved from my enemies. What is David saying? He's saying God's protection and love is, is limitless. God has always been the rock and the strength for David. And he sees that. And I believe this psalm is here for us to see that God is our rock and our strength and our fortress and our deliverer. And we can call on him and he will help us. God's protection is for us. That's the first thing that I see here. That God is a rock for us. He's a rock that we can stand on. He's a rock that we can find peace in. And, and when the enemy seems to come in after us or whatever disasters or, or situations we're facing, our rock is there, our fortress is there, our strength is there, our protector, and we can cry out, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The second thing that I see here is that David asked God for help because he faced many enemies in his lifetime, the Philistines, and in addition to that, saw himself. He felt at times that the cords of death had entangled him. And he remembered again in those times to pray to God. Look what it says in verse 4. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Sounds like he's kind of bound up in that situation and how he's describing that. But what does he say in the, in, the, in the next verse? He says, in my distress, I call to the Lord and I cry to the Lord for my strength. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came before him into his ears. And what I want us to hear and know that when we cry out to the Lord, he hears us. He's not old and senile and, and using a hearing aid. He's still alive and well in hearing us when we cry out to him. The enemy might think or cause us to think that God doesn't hear us when we cry out to him, but God hears us. What's interesting is the language that David uses in the next part of this psalm where he talks about God answering him. In verse 7, it says, The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook, and they trembled because he was angry. Who was angry? God. 
God was angry because his son David was being tormented and chased and his life was in danger. Smoke rise from the nostrils of God. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blamed out of him. He parted the heavens and he came down. And dark clouds were under his feet. And he mounted the cherubim and he flew. And he soared the wings of the Lord. In, in verse 13, which you won't see up there, it says, The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and he scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. Louis Zampertini didn't know how God was protecting him from death in that concentration camp or from the sharks that were beating against the raft. He didn't realize that, that it was God that was saving his life in that time. He took it that God had abandoned him. And sometimes we don't realize that God is on our time when we're going through the worst of situations. He hears us and he is angry when his children are being mistreated misjudged. He cares about us. And the image that David has here is that he parts the heavens and he comes down to make sure that his child David is set free and taken care of. In verse 16, it says, he reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of my deep waters and he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into the spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You see, you and I were created in God's image. No other living creature was created in the image and likeness of God. And God takes pleasure in us above all other created things. All other created things. He loves us and he cares for us and he watches over us. And, and, and though David went through this time and had these troubles and sometimes we feel like we're in the deep waters and that we're threatening to drown and if we just keep our head above water, God save me in this situation. What David wants us to know is that there is nothing that is going to stand away of God's love and protection for us. When you feel like you're drowning, cry out to God. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley of deep darkness, who's with me? My God. He wants us to know that. He wants to know that when we face dark valleys this year, when we're wondering if we're going to make it, if we're sinking and going down for the third time, God is there and he's for us. The fourth thing that I see in this section is that it tells why God wants to help his people. It's an interesting section here because it seems to talk about David's own righteousness, but he's not talking about his own righteousness. I woke up this morning probably about 4.30 and the thought came to me, why am I preaching here today at this church? Who am I to stand before you and preach God's word? And, and for some reason, I just thought about all times when I have not the, the greatest of thoughts when I'm angry with the driver in front of me because he won't move out of the way and let me go past, or they took my parking space, you know, little things like that when I have thoughts that are not necessarily holy and Jesus and Christ-like in those situations. And, and I'm being nice on the nice thoughts. Those are the nice thoughts. I have other thoughts that are improper and unholy. Why do those thoughts come to me? You know, wretched man that I am, who am I to stand before you? 
You see, I'm well aware of my thoughts, just are you as well aware of your own thoughts that sometimes are not real Christ-like and real godly. They're more selfish. Maybe want revenge in those situations. And then the, the Spirit just kind of gave me the thought, my righteousness comes from Christ. And I think David, even though he never met Jesus at this time when he's writing this, he looked ahead and he knew that his righteousness comes from God. There's a portion in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew where Jesus has kind of opened up. He's given the Beatitudes and he's told us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. <coughs> and then he says, you know, I have not come to do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And then he makes this statement, and I believe it's in verse 20, Matthew 5. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's an interesting statement to say, because they looked at the scribes and Pharisees as people who were obeying the law down to the minus little part. I mean, they were obsessed with, with not working on the Sabbath. I mean, you couldn't even walk through a field and pick a piece of grain and put it in your mouth because that was considered harvesting. I mean, there's just obsession there. And so to think that how can our righteousness surpass it? Well, there is a way, is what Jesus was saying. You get Jesus' righteousness imparted to us. He imparts it to us. So God doesn't look at our righteousness, which is his filthy rags. He looks at us through Christ, who was a perfect man, who had no sin, who lived this life, and he comes and says, now I will give that to you. If you accept me, we get his righteousness. Paul says in one of his letters, don't we, we need to realize that just as Christ died, we died. And just as Christ you know, was raised to new life. We are raised to life so we can present the instruments, the, the limbs of our body to God for acts of righteousness. We can do that because he sees us through Christ. So David says, what? The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he has rewarded me. And God will deal with us according to the righteousness of Christ that is given to us. And then he says this, you save the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty, arrogant. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. And so when we humbly say to God, I need you, I need your righteousness, he will impact it to us. It's when we say, I don't need it. I'm pretty righteous all by myself that we're in trouble. God will help those who humble themselves and ask for David's, God's righteousness. The fifth thing that I see here is David knew that everything that he had came from God. I've often heard Jeff or even Craig say, you know, we're, we're giving back to God just a portion of what he has given to us when we take the tithes and the offerings. And it's true. I look at my life and I look at what God has given me while I've served him what he allows me to, to, to live with, but it's because of him that I have those things. And we need to realize that everything we have comes from God. He will always be there in the challenges that we face. Verse 29, he says, when, with your help, I can advance against a troop. With your help, 
I can go against the enemy. With my God, I can scale a wall. Verse 30, 32 says, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. I don't arm myself. It is God who arms me with strength. In verse 38, he says, you arm me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? I can do all things through the one who gives me strength. He just doesn't say I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God is the one who equips us. The last thing that I see in this psalm, it was God who made David king. It was God who will lift us up to. Let me read the last verses of this psalm. It says, the Lord lives. Praise be my rock. Exalted be God my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who have subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you, you rescued me, which he's probably referring to Saul. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David always points to God as a source and his strength and his deliverer. And it's the same for us. Now, it's interesting as we move and we look at Paul as we, as we kind of land the plane here. Paul is writing uh, from prison again in Ephesians. And it really, if you, if you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, you're really, Paul goes into who we are and what we have in Christ. The last three chapters of the, the Bible is basically kind of saying, or at least of Ephesians, hey, because of who you are, this is what you're able to do. But listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians, he kind of lists his woes. And, and I want you to know this 2 Corinthians was written before Ephesians, before Paul was in prison writing the le this letter to the church of Ephesus. He talks about some of the things he experienced. He said he had worked harder than others. He had been in prison frequently. He had been flogged severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times he received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones. Some translations said he was stoned, but that was not drugs, so, all right. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and day in the open sea. He had been constantly on the move. He had been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. He had known hunger and thirst and had often gone without food. And he had been cold and naked. And besides everything else, he said, he faced daily the pressure of concern for all the churches. What an easy life. Would that we would be like Paul. And we might have a bad year or had some bad times, but I don't think we've gone through those things. And that was after he accepted Christ. That was after that turned and when he was doing God's work. And, and so he, he, he's telling us about that. And now he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus and probably the surrounding areas uh, from prison. 
And, and in chapter one, after he does his initial greetings, he says this in verse three, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. <clears throat> Paul, wait a second here. Shipwrecked, whipped, beaten, hunger, thirst. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us where? In Lakeland, Auburndale, Plant City, Winter Haven, Tampa, Florida. Where are we blessed? In the heavenly realms. I think he's saying like everywhere. He's writing this from prison. Praise be to God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every single blessing in Christ. Verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His plan and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. He's in prison writing this. He's going through all those things that I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And yet he's praising God in prison. In fact, the, some people, scholars say that these first 10 verses are just one run long sentence where, where Paul is just praising God for who he is and what he has done in his life. And we want to look at all those things like Louis did and say, well, look, I, I was shipwrecked, you know, I was on a raft for 47 days fighting off sharks and now I'm in prison for two years. Look at what you did. And Louis finally realized, wait a second, look at what God did. I'm alive and well, and I'm back in my country, and I'm married, and I have a daughter, and God is good. And God, and Louis turned his life over to God. That he could say like David in, in, in Psalm 18, verse 1, I love you, Lord, my strength. Do we go through horrible times like Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 11 and just stop and, and, and stay there? Or do we look like he does in Ephesians chapter 1 and say, I am blessed in the heavenly realms with every single blessing in Christ Jesus? You see, it's all about attitude. It's all about attitude. We can have a car wreck and think of the damage and the cost, or we can walk away and say, at least I'm still alive. Insurance will take care of that. You know, you, maybe you expect $10 for a Christmas present and you get 1000 Are you happy? Maybe you expected 5000 and you only get 1000 Are you sad? Either way, you have $1,000. It's how we look at it. And Paul looked at it with eyes to see as David did, Lord, you are my strength. Look what he says in verse 13. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. God branded us. He stamped his seal upon us with what? The promised Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? That's God's brand, his seal, his tattoo on you that you are his who is not only a, a seal, but he is a deposit guaranteeing that God, what he put down, he is going to complete. God is not going to not fulfill his deposit. If he put down a deposit, he's going to guarantee the redemption of those who are God's possession. 
Paul's so excited here that he moves from this into thanking the people for their love, and then he moves to a prayer. And the reason why this prayer is here is, is not just for them back then. I think the prayer is here for us as well. And it's a prayer that we can pray. And so in verse 17, he says this, I keep asking, and I love that. It's a continual prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Are you, are you, would you like a spirit of wisdom and revelation? Why does he say that? He says this, so that you might know him better. That's why I'm preaching this morning. So that we would know God better. Right? Louis needed to know God better. David knew God better. And Paul is writing, writes half the New Testament, and yet he's praying that we would know God better. I think that was his prayer for himself as well as us every single day. The second part of our prayer is in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, what is that? Uh, your heart is, 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 is not just this pumping organ. Most of the time, it's talking about the core of your being. If I have your heart, I have you. And he's saying if your heart would have eyes, if the core of your being had eyes, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. God has called us all to something. We are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, he's going to tell us in the second chapter. The hope to which he has called you. But look at what that hope is. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And we might say we have an inheritance in God, but God has an inheritance in us. He has an investment in us. He sacrificed his son for us because he saw potential in us. We are his children. And he wants us to be with him one day in heaven, in eternity with him. And he's there working on our behalf. You know, reason why, why does David say, you are my, my rock and my strength and my shield, the horn of my salvation? He knew that God had an investment in him and God is going to do what he can to fulfill that investment. Do we realize that God has an investment in us? We're his inheritance. What he has begun, he is going to complete. He is the author and finisher, perfecter, of our faith. He's going to see it through. He's given us a down payment. He has marked us as his. We are the children of God. Nothing that we do has earned that. It's been done in Christ. All we need to do is accept it. And so Paul is praying that the eyes of our heart would be ennobled. He prays that we would have wisdom and revelation so that we know God better. And then the last thing he prays is in verse 19, and that we would know his incomparably great power towards us or for us who believe. What kind of power is that? He tells us, well, it's the same mighty strength that raised a dead son from the grave and not just gave him a few more years to live, Raised him from the dead, but set him up into the heavenly realms where all principalities and powers will bow down to him. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the power that is working into us. That same power because we too are the inheritance of God. 
And he's going to give us all the energy and all the power and all the strength that we need to succeed in this life and to be his child and to spend eternity with him. That's the God who has our back. God has our back. I I want you to say that out loud. God has my back. Do you believe that? Do you receive that today? That God is for us. He's not against us. He has our back. He is our rock in whom we can take refuge. He's our shield. He's the horn of our salvation. He is our stronghold. If we call upon him, he will come to our aid. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every single blessing in Christ Jesus. That's us. That's who we are. And just as Paul prays that our eyes would be open to that, that we have wisdom and revelation, that we would know him better. God has our black. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what any of us are going to face this year. I'm not a prophet. But I want us to walk into this new year knowing that God is there with us. And we we cry out to him. He will come down from heaven and enter into that situation. All right? That's what David talks about in Psalm 18. He will break through to rescue us. Why? Because we're his child. What will a parent do for a child? I have children. We hear every week what Jeff will do for his grandchildren. We wonder if he even loves us because he loves those grandchildren so much. Right? And if he has that sort of love, what kind of love does God have for us? David knew it. Paul wants it. He knew it. And he wants us to know it. And that's my prayer this year that we would know the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of God's love for us that surpasses our understanding. God, open up the eyes of my heart. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I might know you better. Let me know the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and set him in the heavenly realms is working into each one of us. God has our back. Amen? Bow your head with me. Maybe some of you are here and you haven't accepted Christ's love. It's, it doesn't cost you a thing. It's here for you. And if you've been waiting to say, today's the day. Today is the day of salvation. So if that's you, I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come down here. I'm not going to take your picture and put it on Facebook unless you want me to. But if that's you, just lift your hand. I just want to pray with you. Maybe today is the day. And I see some hands going up. Lord, you see this hands. And if that's you, just say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me in the blood of Christ. Make me whole. I want to be your child. And by faith, he will do that. And Father, I I pray that you'd help us to be like David, to be like Paul in their attitude, not in their situation, but certainly in their attitude. But if we even would get into a situation like they went through, or even close to it, that we know that we can call on you, our rock, our shield, our shepherd, that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with us. Let us know that this day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Happy New Year. It's a good year. All right. God bless you.